turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. Isn't it good to be saved? I'm glad I know who the Lord is, and more importantly, I'm glad He knows who I am. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And just if anybody's curious, I just want to make sure and, and let everybody know, so there's no misunderstanding whatsoever. This is a red tie, not a crimson tie. <laughs> Get on out of here, little Johnny. All these people trying to congratulate me. I, ain't no congratulation. <clears throat> it's red, you colorblind people. Somebody call security, amen. Tell me, you with me, ain't you, Nikki? That's right. Preach on. <laughs> Hey, somebody was listening last week, amen? Amen. Aren't you glad you can smile in the house of God? Amen. We have been, we have been preaching the last two or three weeks on the subject salvation, authentic salvation. We, uh, God took us to a place where we saw that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, everybody that claims it is not going to make it. There's a lot of people professing Christianity, but there's not a whole lot of people possessing Christianity, possessing Christ. And so we've been preaching on that and going into detail about what that means. And last week, we talked about the place of preaching in the process of salvation. It takes a preacher taking God's word. God's word will be opened up and, and it, will, it will bring conviction and it will bring sorrow and sorrow leads to repentance and repentance to salvation. Amen? And so uh, today I want to take just a few verses uh, and kind of illustrate the Christian life from, from before Christ to after Christ. And, and these few verses, about 12 verses here in chapter 5, uh, uh, that, that really God is taking and, and kind of illustrating what a Christian life should look like. So if you're with me this morning, you found your place, say amen. amen. Look a couple verses before in verse 17 of chapter 4. Let's start there. Let's start there. Chapter, seven, or chapter 4, verse 17, and then we'll jump right into uh, chapter 5, verse 1, okay? Chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, what's that word? Amen. Say it again. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And his first word was the same word that John Baptist used, repent. And if you will look in Luke, you will find out at the end of Luke that this was that Jesus told the disciples to go out and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. So he bookends his ministry, the beginning and the end, with this word, repent. repent. Say it again. Repent. 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 Now, here in chapter 5, Jesus, he kind of describes what that uh, life of repentance looks like. He, he, he is kind of giving you the character of authentic faith. All right? Look in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. 
for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet singing and the praise and the worship that we have experienced already. Lord, help us to study your word. Help us to rightly divide the scriptures. Give me the ability to to speak clearly that everyone in this building can understand and comprehend your word today. We love you today, and we, Lord, we praise you today. We know without you, we are nothing. We are nothing. Without you, we'd have no salvation. Without you, we'd have no hope. Without you, we'd have no peace. We'd have no future. And God, we praise your holy name. Use your word to bless your people. And God, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I want to take and just begin, just, just jump right in this thing and jump right in these verses and, and, and basically take these 12 verses and break them down into three parts and three, really the three parts of the Christian life and the, the authentic Christian life, authentic faith and authentic, authentic repentance. Uh, look in verse number three and we'll jump there. I, I've got a ton of material. I know we probably won't be able to get all of it, but we'll just get what we can and, and, and go from there. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where does salvation begin? Where does real salvation begin? Uh, many people don't understand that we've been saying this for like three or four weeks here that you have to get lost before you can get saved. You have to understand your condition. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, number one, write this down. There is a condition that is discovered. There's a condition that's discovered. You cannot get saved till you get lost. That is the most important part. As a matter of fact, that's the hardest part, especially in the Bible Belt, especially where we live. That's the hardest part about the process of salvation. You knock on any door in Coleman County and you ask this question, are you a Christian? Everybody's going to say yes. Now, there's, there's many reasons behind that. One, they'll just say, well, my dad went to church back in 1947, so that means I'm a Christian or I'm a Baptist, or I'm affiliated with this. And in their minds, they think, that's it. That's the deal. That's what it's all about. But listen, that is not the case. Religion will not save you. Church membership will not save you. Getting baptized will not save you. Going to Sunday school will not save you. Are y'all here with me? That's not it. What, What is required? Well, we see this. Faith cometh by Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, this is key. 
This is key. What happens? What happens when the word of God is open? We studied this last week. You got to bring your memory banks. Come on, go to your memory banks. What happens when the word of God is open? There is something so significant about God's word when it is open, when it is read, when it is studied, when it is preached, when it is teach. When you open God's word, here's what you see. There is a stark contrast between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. When you study, I, I was looking through Isaiah. I was looking through Isaiah. Let me, let me read. This is, this is what happens. This is what happens when, when Isaiah comes into the presence of God. First before, in Isaiah 3, 11, woe unto the wicked. Isaiah 5, 8, woe unto them that join house to house, lay field to field till there be no place. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Uh, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Now, all them woes, all them woes. Now we get to Isaiah 6. Now what happens? Isaiah is ushered into the presence of God. He says in Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. One cried out unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. Woe is me. I am undone. What happened? What happened? He's woeing everybody. He's looking at everybody else's sins. He's looking at everybody else's behavior. He's, he's looking at everybody else's shortcomings. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then all of a sudden, in the year King Uzziah died, he finds himself in the presence of God. And he realizes the holiness of God. And because of that, he falls down on his face and says, woe is. You know why? Because when you realize the holiness of God, there's no, listen, there's no way to understand and really know the holiness of God without realizing the sinfulness of man. We realize how holy he is. When we realize how righteous and pure he is. When we realize how high and lifted up he is. And how majestic he is and how glorious he is. It will show to us and reveal to us our sinfulness. And if the word is being preached right, if the word is being read right, if the word is being teached right, you're going to find yourself in the presence of a holy God and you're going to realize there is a stark contrast between his holiness and our sinfulness. So what happens? The word of God is open. God is revealed in all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his purity, and all of his holiness. And so what happens? We recognize we recognize our condition. Maybe for the first time in your life, you see how wretched you are. You see how sinful in the eyes of God. Here's the problem with most people. Most people compare themselves to other people. And the problem with that is, is you're using the wrong measuring stick. 
Now, I'm, I look pretty good standing beside Charles Manson. Y'all with me? Now, if we want to talk about goodness and, and, and all that kind of stuff, if I, if I stand beside the right person, I can make myself look good. But there's only one problem with that. You're not going to stand beside anybody. You're going to stand in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible said, blessed are the pure, or excuse me, the poor in spirit. That same word, that same word poor is the same word that's used in Luke with the beggar Lazarus. How many of y'all remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man and Lazarus, he was a beggar. Same identical word, same Greek word, poor beggar, same one. What is it saying? We are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. If all of us pulled our righteousness together, if everyone in this room pulled our righteousness together, we would still fall short of the glory of God. We would still fall short of what's required to get into heaven, much less on an individual basis. And you cannot get saved till you get poor in spirit. Till you understand you're bankrupt before God. Till you understand you're hopeless before God. That nothing you could ever do could attain the righteousness of God. I, I, was, looking at, I was looking at one of the old songs. <clears throat> I was looking at one of the old songs and the doctrine that's taught in, the, in these old songs. Rock of ages, cleft for me. How, how many of y'all know that one? If you don't, shame on you. <clears throat> You need to learn it. Watch these words. Watch these words. And by the way, they, 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 those comedians in the sound booth said, are you singing today? <laughs> like that matters. Amen. Y'all ready? Rock of ages, cliff for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the waters and the blood the, from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Now, here, here's the teaching. This is, what, this is what I want you to get. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal, no respite, no respite means suspension of judgment. In other words, could my zeal, could my excitement, could, could, could my enthusiasm for religion suspend the judgment to come? He said, could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. You could, you could cry a river of tears and it not atone for your sin. Are you with me? Watch this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing in my hand I bring. Say that with me. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Boy, the songwriter knew it. He understood, I can't bring anything. I have nothing to offer God. I am a beggar. I am destitute. I am bankrupt spiritually. And here's the thing. What is the, what is the condition? What is the condition that is seen? What is the condition that we discover? First, first, look at this. Two things. Two things. If you're taking notes. If you're taking notes, write these two things there. There's a recognition of condition. We realize who we are. We realize we're bankrupt. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. What's the point? 
It's not that we're looking for Him. He came looking for us. There's no greater story, in my opinion, in the Bible than the story of Mephibosheth when it comes to the grace of God. Mephibosheth was a cripple in Lodibar. Lodibar means no thing, no joy, no peace, no help, nothing. And there he is, a cripple, could not change his condition, could not change his situation. But there was a king sitting on the throne who had his mind on him and came to where he was. Somebody save me. That's us. We are Mephibosheth. And until, until you swallow your pride and understand that you may be a good person, but your goodness is still bankrupt in the eyes of God. Poor in spirit. It starts with a recognition of condition. You can't get saved till you get lost. You can't trust Christ till you know you're in desperate need of His grace. This condition, we see a recognition of condition in B. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. When we find ourselves poor in spirit, when we find ourselves and understand that we're bankrupt without God, that we're helpless and hopeless without God. Verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. There's a response to this condition. The word mourn. The word mourn here means to grieve. It means to grieve. It means to be pained. What what is it saying? What what takes place in the process of salvation? First, the preaching of the word. The word is revealed to us. We see the holiness of God. We see our own sinful condition. We see our own wretchedness uh, compared to his holiness and his righteousness. And when we see our condition and we see that our sin has offended a holy God, it brings sorrow to our heart. Paul said it this way. He said, he said, you have sorrowed after a godly sorrow, a godly sort. Sorrow worketh repentance and repentance to salvation. Right. Amen. We're living in a day where everybody wants a pep rally. Yeah, right. We're living in a day when the American church, they want a motivational speaker and a pep rally. Make me feel good about my situation. They don't want to feel bad. Yeah. Right. They don't want to feel bad. Don't, don't make me feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel convicted. I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to... Just, just, just tell me something. But here's the problem. You will never get your sins taken care of till you mourn over your sin. Till we come to God and recognize our condition. And when we recognize that condition, it brings sorrow. It brings a brokenness. It brings a grief, a pain to our heart. You see, salvation is not, listen, true repentance and true authentic Christianity. It's not, I want to escape the penalty of sin. No, I want to escape the power of sin. I want to escape the pollution of sin. Are y'all with me? If all you want is just to get out of hell, you're missing it. You don't completely understand the deal. Are y'all with me? I mean, you ask anybody. You ask anybody, do you want to go to hell? No. Nobody. There's nothing. There's, listen, the desire to skip hell. Everybody, any hoodlum will say that. But do you desire to be in a right relationship with a holy God? You see, when our condition is revealed to us, we will recognize who we are. We'll recognize like, like, like Isaiah did and say, woe is me. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Turn to Psalm 51. Let, let's look at David. David has been confronted with his sin. 
David has been confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan. Now let's watch. Watch his repentance. Watch his remorse, his response to his condition. He's been confronted with his sin. Now watch this. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You see the difference in the terminology and the language? Then somebody says, yeah, I'm going to see if I'm, I'm going I'm to try to de- determine whether I'm going to accept Christ or not. Like we're doing Christ a favor. When we really, we really should be hoping that he accepts us. Look. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. It's ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin and my mother conceived me. Behold, thou desired truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Can you see his grief, his brokenness over his sin? Let me tell you why people are making professions and praying a prayer and then leaving and still living like the world and still living like they always live and you can't find them and they're not in church anymore. They were never broken over their sin. The Bible says confess your sin before God and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But that word confess doesn't mean I did it. It means to come into agreement with And if you come into agreement with God about your sin, you say, how does God feel about sin? Just take a look at Calvary. Take a look at what he did to his beloved son because of sin. That's how God feels about sin. And see, salvation begins when there's a clear recognition, there's a clear understanding of our sin. Preacher, I've always been a church member. I don't care if you've been a church member. I don't care if you've been a Sunday school teacher. I don't care if you've been a deacon. I don't care if you've been a pastor. If you've never come to the understanding and the knowledge that you're a sinner before God, you haven't got saved. We see a recognition of our condition. And there is a response to this condition. There is sorrow. There is a brokenness. Blessed are they that mourn, mourn. What did, the, what, did the, what did the Pharisee do in the temple? You remember? The Pharisee's talking about how he did this and he did that. And he's bragging on his exploits before God. What did the publican do? He wouldn't even look up. He just smote on his breast and said, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know what the Bible says? That man went home justified. Amen. Sorrow. I don't like to feel bad. I don't, I don't even like to preach this stuff. But I got to preach this stuff. You're not going to get it. But I don't like feeling convicted. I don't like feeling bad. I don't like feeling sorrow. I like happiness and joy. And, you know, let's just kumbaya. Say amen. But you know what? If we never 
mourn over our sin. We won't repent. You know what we're doing? We're preaching a false gospel. A false gospel is being presented to the world and they're swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. We're trying to make the gospel so easy. And and, and so, listen, all of this, we're not telling them you got to repent. Man, I, I, next week, I had so much stuff I wanted to do this week that God's going, we're going to do it next week. But it, it, what did it say with the three? You remember when Jesus is telling the stories of the three things that were lost, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son? What did he say about that when they were recovered? He said, just like the rejoicing they had, so do the angels in heaven. They rejoice over one sinner that does what? Repents. It doesn't say over one sinner that believes. It says one sinner that repents, but we're leaving that out. Because to tell somebody they need to repent means they're wrong. And nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. So instead of offending people, we just tell them what they want to hear. And that's why in that day, many, many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord. And I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Listen, don't you see this condition? The word has been revealed to our hearts and we see our condition. We see who we are and we mourn before God. But then number three, or number two, excuse me. Not only is there a condition that's discovered, but number two, I want you to see the change that's displayed. This is good. The change that's displayed. And let me say this, I can say this with biblical authority. If you did not change, you did not get saved. The poor in spirit, we realize that we're bankrupt before God spiritually. Because of our condition, we mourn over our sin. We grieve, we are pained over our sin. We have godly sorrow. But then verse 5, blessed are the... Me, come on, everybody, don't get mad. It, it, we're halfway through. We're halfway through, all right? Blessed are the, the meek. The word meek, the word meek means humble. It means submissive. It means surrendered. The Greek term gives the illustration in the picture of a horse. This big, powerful, strong, muscled-up horse that's been broken broken what is it this horse this horse who is powerful who is strong he's been broken and now he is humble now he is gentle now he is submissive to his owner are y'all with me he still has his power he still has his strength but he's submissive to the owner And you know what this is saying? Blessed are the meek. What happens at salvation when you kneel before God and you understand your condition and you come to God and you grieve over your sin? What are you doing in salvation? You are submitting your will to His. Blessed are the meek. Those who have surrendered. Those who have saying, Lord, not my will, but... See, this is, a, this is a hiccup right here. This is a hiccup. You can pray a prayer and not surrender to Christ. 
You can sit in a church pew and hear preaching every day of your life and sing with the choir and not be surrendered to Christ. Blessed are the meek, those who have submitted, those who are humble before Christ. You have a total different attitude. What's changed? First thing that changes in salvation is your attitude. It's not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's about Christ. It's not about fulfilling your desires anymore. It's not. What did the Bible say about those who were dead in trespasses and in sins? It says we were the children of the devil, fulfilling our own lusts. But when we come to Christ, we give all of that up to Christ. It says that unless a man will deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Watch what it says. I'll give you another verse. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Watch these powerful words. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own? What shall a man give exchange for his soul? In other words, what's worth your soul? What woman is worth your soul? What man is worth your soul? What, what, what money, what, 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 what item, what thing in this world is worth your soul? He said, deny yourself and follow me. What's he saying? Submit to me. Submit to my leadership. Submit to my authority. You know what the meek are? Those who said, not my will, but thy will be done. What happens at salvation? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. There's a change in attitude. There's a change. It's amazing. It's amazing. You can see the most arrogant person in the world. And when they fall before Christ, it changes everything. Amen. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad, my dad was a kind of a hateful guy. He was. I'm just going to tell you the truth. There's certain groups he hated. We grew up in the South. And there's something that happened. There's something that happened. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't some marcher. It wasn't some activist. But when he fell into the presence of God, and he mourned over his sin, it changed everything. His whole mentality changed. His whole attitude changed. That's not all that changed. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. We're just going verse by verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize that we are bankrupt in spirit. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn. We mourn. We grieve over our sin. Verse 5, we submit to Christ. We come to Christ and say, not my will, but thine be done. We surrender to his Authority in our life. Verse 6. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What happens? There's a change, A, in our attitude, or verse 5, in our attitude. And then 6, verse 6, there's a change in our appetite. Appetite. What does the Bible say? As babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, let me say this so everybody hears me real good. 
If you say you're saved and you do not desire and have an appetite for spiritual things, you may need to check up. Now let me clarify so I don't get anybody confused on this deal. I fight my flesh when it comes to praying every day. I don't jump out of bed. I don't jump out of bed and get to spend time with God. I just fall out. Say amen. And get... So, so don't think that if you get saved and all of a sudden you're just this, some super spiritual. I don't know anybody like that. But I tell you this, my desires changed. My appetite changed. I desire godly things. I have an appetite. I have a thirst for righteousness. I want to be right with God. I want to know God. I want to love God. I want more of Him. Paul said it this way, that I may know Him in the fellowship of His suffering, in the power of His resurrection. I want to know more of God. Do you have a desire? Do you have a craving? Do you have a thirst for spiritual knowledge? Is your appetite changed? Do you have more of an appetite for the world than you do of God? Then you might need to check up. So does this mean you don't sin? Heavens, no. I still sin. I just don't want to no more. Yeah. Amen. I fight it. And when I do sin, it grieves me. Yeah. When I do sin, it hurts me. When I do sin, I'm broken over it. When I do sin, I come to God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Amen. There's a major difference. Salvation doesn't perfect anybody. You, you're not perfect. You're still living in the flesh. You still struggle. You still fight, but you struggle. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. He says they, they th- hunger and thirst after righteousness. Is that clock right? Is zero? Seriously? Oh. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, help us, Jesus. All right, look at the next verse. Hurry, 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 hurry. I can't leave you hanging here. I just, I, let me give you the last point. <clears throat> How did that happen? Uh, we see, what was, what was number one? Give me number one. Quickly, quickly, quickly. We're out of time. Number one, we see the condition, the condition that's discovered. We're bankrupt before God. The preaching of the word has revealed to us our, our stark contrast between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And then we see a change that's displayed. Our attitudes change. Our appetite changes. Then, then, then number three, write this down. I want you to see the character that's developed. The character that's developed. Watch this. Let me read it fast. Let me read it fast. Look what it says. <clears throat> look, at, look, in verse number, look, look in verse number seven. You there? Watch this. Watch these words. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we have, so we have four things here. Merciful, pure, peacemaker, and persecuted. All right? Merciful, pure, persecuted, peacemaker. Peacemaker, persecuted. 
Now, when you hear those words, who does that sound like? Merciful, pure, peacemaker, persecuted. Jesus. There was no one that was as merciful as he was. There was no one as pure as he was. There was no one that was a peacemaker like he was. There was no one as persecuted as he was. You know what these verses are saying? That when we come to Christ and salvation, there begins a process of change that takes place in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word that God begins to transform us into the image of his Say amen. amen. What does it say? Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to them to love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. What does it mean? Authentic salvation will have in the process a changing that is taking place in every born-again believer, a changing that will change you into the image of His Son. You will start thinking like Him. You will start acting like Him. You'll start behaving like Him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's a question. Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you becoming more like Christ? Has this process taken place in your life? Has there been a change in your life where you've submitted yourself to the leadership of the Lord? Are you becoming more like Christ? If not, the Bible says make your calling and election sure. Listen, we need to pray. But you need to examine yourself. Have I recognized my bankrupt spiritual condition before God? Have I mourned over my sin? Have I become humble and submissive to the will of God in my life? Have I surrendered to Christ? Has my appetite changed? Am I becoming more like Christ? If not, we need to check up. Amen. And all of God's people say it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to come into a place that loves your word.